his treasure, his prized possession. Oh, glory to his name. Glory to his name. Oh, my prayer is that God would help us to understand his love this morning. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. If you would, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14. Through 21. And God's holy word, his inspired word, his infallible word, his love letter to his creatures, his children, reads. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Through his spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Please join me as we go to our Lord in prayer. Father, how's it possible for a wretch to be made your treasure? Only by the blood of your son. Only by the perfect bloodshed of Jesus Christ are wretches able to be made your prized possession. 
Oh, Father, would you help us this morning to understand and comprehend your love. Your love that goes beyond understanding. Help us, Father, to know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You must work by the power of your Holy Spirit. We can't comprehend this type of love with our minds and our own might. We need a supernatural manifestation to happen in our hearts to cause us to see your love as your word reveals. Father, I am at your mercy this morning. I feel that I can't even scratch the surface of what your word is saying here in this passage. But, oh Lord, would you use my feeble efforts to communicate your infinite, everlasting love to your children and help us pray to know it more. So, Father, please have your way in this place. Do a work that only you can do for your namesake and for your glory alone and for our joy in Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, family, I have a burden this morning. If anyone doesn't have a Bible, if you could please raise your hand. And if you need a Bible, we have um, a, a couple of people walking down the aisles who can give you one. One right here, Jeff, and one back there. Oh, ARC, I have a, a burden this morning to communicate God's love from this passage. And I deeply desire to know more of God's love myself and to be able to communicate God's love, but how can you communicate something this glorious? I've been wrestling with that, just thinking, how can I communicate something this glorious? The book of Ephesians is a beautiful, wonderful book. Oh, how I love the book of Ephesians. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, the first three chapters tells us who we are in Christ. It's the first three chapters. The first three chapters emphasizes who we are as believers in Christ. And then the last three chapters tells us how we ought to live. So the first three chapters tells us who we are in Christ for those who have repented and trusted in Jesus Christ, the last three chapters tells us in Ephesians how we ought to live, how we ought to love one another, how we ought to live as a church, how we ought to, ought to live filled by his spirit, so forth and so on. And right in the middle is this prayer that we're going to be looking at this morning. It's right before we start Ephesians chapter 4. 
So there's this prayer, smack dab, right in the middle, sandwiched between these three chapters and then the three at the end. Um, but in order for us to understand the reason why Paul is praying, when he says, for this reason I bow my knees, we have to understand the chapters before this prayer. And I just felt led to read chapter 1 and 2. So if you have your Bible, just open up to chapter 1 and 2. It's so glorious, just so glorious. Chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, and the Lord Jesus Christ, in your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us that believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Hallelujah. Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinance that he might create in himself one new man 
in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, members of ARC, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. If we keep reading, in verse 1 of chapter 3, you see him starting, he says, for this reason, the same thing he, he says in chapter 3, starting at verse 14. But after... This verse, in the beginning of chapter 3, he then goes on to talk about his ministry to the Ephesian believers. And then after that is when he then starts this prayer in verse 14. He picks up in verse 14 where he started at verse 1 in chapter 3. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. The reason why he bowed his knees before the Father is because he wanted the, the, the believers in Ephesus to understand the riches of God's glory. Everything that we just got finished reading in chapter 1 and chapter 2 he wanted them to fully comprehend that and understand that. The riches of God's glory, the mercy, the grace that's found in Christ. Another way chapter 3 verse 14 can be translated is when I think of all of this in chapter 1 and 2, when I think of all of this, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Everything that I just got finished telling you about, that has happened to me and happened to you, the riches of God's glory, him raising us from the dead when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, him adopting us into his family, loving us before the foundation of the world. All of these wonderful truths. 
I want you to know that. I want you to know the depth of that, the height of that, the length of that. And because of that, I bow my knees before the Father in gratitude for what he has done for us and also, also in desperation so that you may know that love. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, I don't believe Paul is saying in this text or that the scriptures are implying that getting on our knees is the only way to pray. When we look throughout the Bible, we see people praying sitting down. It was custom for many people to pray standing up. But I think it's key that we do give attention to the fact that Paul was on his knees because it shows a certain type of reverence, gratitude, gratefulness, and thankfulness, but also a desperation. He knows that the only way they're truly going to understand this love is if God does something supernatural inside of them to really help them see this love. This love displayed to us in Christ. So for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Before the Father. Notice this repeated language. We saw in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father. Our Father. Our Father. He prays to his Father. Prays to one who he knows is going to listen. He comes to him as a child. This is his father. He's praying to him, and he's like, I pray. I pray to you, God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Verse 15. He's praying to the sovereign ruler, the sovereign creator of the universe, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The one who is the father of all his children in heaven and on earth. In heaven, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all those who have died and want to be with the Lord, who's part of the family of Christ and those on earth. At the time presently, he was talking to the Ephesian believers, all of those who are on earth. I'm praying to you, God, who is the father of all your children in heaven and on earth. In verse 16 through 18, I want us to look at what he prayed for. Paul prays for them to know God's power and God's love. In these next four verses, he prays for the Ephesians to know God's power and God's love. Verse 16, he prays that according to the riches of his glory, his unlimited resources, <laughs> his infinite resources, his infinite matchless grace and mercy and love displayed towards them. That according to his glorious 
resources. He may grant you to be strengthened with power. How? Through his spirit. Where? In their inner being. So he prays that God would grant them to be strengthened. And he prays for God to do this because he knows that he can't strengthen them in his own might. That if strength is going to happen inside of them, God has to do it. And how does he do it? Through his spirit. Through his Holy Spirit. This is why it's so important for us to not lose sight of the Holy Spirit. To be honest, in a lot of Baptist circles and Reform circles, personally, I have heard little teaching on the Holy Spirit. And then in charismatic circles and Pentecostal circles that I came in, I heard a lot of teaching on the Holy Spirit, but not too much emphasis on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or the Father. In Baptist and Reformed circles, I've heard a lot of teaching on Jesus and the Father, but not much on the Holy Spirit. And the honest truth is, we must teach God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because God is three persons in one. And to neglect the Holy Spirit is to neglect God. So we must teach on the Holy Spirit, preach about the Holy Spirit, preach about his convicting power, preach how he gives boldness for us to proclaim, preach how the Holy Spirit changes lives, But he's praying here specifically that the Holy Spirit would strengthen them. Would strengthen them in their inner being. He wants something to happen inside of them that he knows that he can't accomplish. Think about it. A lot of times when we see people doing certain things, we just want to address what they're doing. Oh, that person's struggling with porn, we got to tell them to get rid of the laptop. Which I would agree with, because the Bible says, cut off the hand and pluck out the eye, if that is helpful, praise God. But that doesn't address the root issue. The root issue is a heart problem. It's something that only God can truly change. There's something that must happen inside of the inner being to where this person sees the love of Christ infinitely more valuable than disgusting images. Whatever sin a person may struggle with, we have to address more than the symptoms. We have to address the inner man, and only the Holy Spirit can do that. I have a good friend of mine who said to me, Jahil, 
I got to go to the doctors because I've been having some things going on with my leg. And I need surgery, but my leg has been killing me. And because of that, I'm going to the doctor so that they could shoot my leg up with some steroids. And after he went and got the steroids, I seen him again, and he says, oh, I'm feeling good, but it's just a matter of time before these steroids wear off. Because this doesn't really address the issue. If I want this pain to truly change, they got to go inside of me and take out this bone that is deteriorated and replace it with a rod. And then things will truly change. Addressing the symptoms is not enough. And Paul is praying that these Ephesians, Ephesian believers would be strengthened in their inner being. Our flesh is wasting away. It's wasting away. I mean, just think about it. You're getting weaker and weaker and weaker as you get older. But the spirit man, according to 2 Corinthians 4.16, is getting stronger. It says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The same Holy Spirit that came and raised us from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that needs to continuously be at work in us to grow us in sanctification, to renew us day by day. Paul realizes that teaching is not enough. He realizes that he must be a man on his knees. We could teach the most glorious truths, but if we're not people of prayer, then we're missing what God has called us to do. We got to teach and pray. Pray and teach. Teach and pray. Pray and teach. Paul's teaching, and then you see him praying that these truths would become a reality. He goes on in verse 17 and says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Back to verse 17, so that Christ may dwell. This could be translated, dwell could be translated rule in your hearts. Rule every single area of your heart. He's praying that the Holy Spirit will settle down and renovate the believer. He's praying that they would be rooted and grounded in love. A plant without roots in the soil will die. He's praying that Christians would be rooted and grounded in the soil of God's love. Rooted in God's love. Grounded like a building who has a foundation where it's sturdy, 
He wants us to be rooted in the soil of his love and grounded like a building in his love. Verse 18, that we may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, meaning how wide his love is, the length, meaning how long his love is, the height, meaning how high his love is, and the depth, meaning how deep his love is. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know how wide God's love is? Do you know how wide God's love is? His love is wider than the ocean. His love is wider than the world. His love extends from Southeast East D.C. to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. His love extends from Portland, Oregon to Cameroon, Africa. His love extends from Saudi Arabia to Singhai, China. His love extends from North Korea to Colombia and South America. His love is so wide. His love is so vast. John 3.16 says it this way, For God so loved the world. I think we just skip over that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That could be translated, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him, repents and believes in Jesus Christ, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's another question. Do you know how long God's love is? <laughs> Do you know how long his love is? When, when did God first start loving his children? Did he start loving his children when we loved him? The Bible makes it very clear that the only reason we love him is because he first loved us. Did God start loving you when you came out of your mother's womb? Ephesians 1.4 says, He loved us before the foundation of the world. God's love is eternal. Now, if he loved you, before you sinned, and he loved you while you were in your sin, God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. 
What makes you think that his love will ever change for you, believer? There's nothing that can separate you, believer, from the love of Christ. Romans. Romans 8. You could turn there with me if you want to. Romans 8 talks about his magnificent, unfailing love. Starting at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. If you have repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ and he is your savior, nothing can separate you from his love. May his love be the very thing that turns you away from the things that he despises. May his love be the very thing that comforts you when you feel unsure of your salvation. When you're wrestling whether or not you're good enough, it's not based upon your goodness, it's based upon his. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Do you know how high God's love is? In that passage in Romans that we just read, it says that he is seated at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ, and he's interceding for us. When he came here and walked this earth and was crucified, 
died on the cross and was buried and then ascended up into heaven. Some may ask, did he forget about us? No, he's at the right hand of God still thinking of us. Each and every single day interceding for us. Constantly mindful of us. So much so that angels are like, I don't even understand why you're so mindful of these creatures. This doesn't even make sense. They're sinful beings. But in Christ Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. He is mindful of us because of, of us being in Jesus. His love is so high. And he still is mindful of his children. Do you know how deep <laughs> the love of God is? Jesus Christ left glory. The Bible says in Philippians 2, starting at the very end of verse 5, Christ Jesus, verse 6, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to the fact that he's God. But the Bible says that he emptied himself, he humbled himself, and was then born of a virgin. Born in the likeness of men. John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He left heaven and came to earth. But he humbled himself even further. The Bible says that he became a servant. It was one thing for him to leave heaven and become, wrap himself in flesh and, and become a man. It's a whole nother thing for him to become a servant. To be washed in the very feet of the creatures that he created. But Philippians goes even further to say that he humbled himself even further to obedience, to death on a cross. He served us in the greatest way that we needed to be served. And he stretched out his arms and was crucified so that wretches could be made God's treasure. His love is so deep. Oh, it reminds me of the hymn. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured. Boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of his love. Leading onward, leading homeward to that glorious Rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loves us 
ever loves us changes never, never more. How he watches over his loved ones died to call them all his own. How for them he's interceding. Watching over them from his throne. His love is so deep. I want to ask you one more question. Do you know how much God loves you? And I don't want you to just shake your head, yes, yes. I want you to really think about that. Do you know how much God loves you sitting in these seats in this building today? I'm not talking about him loving the world. I'm talking about him loving you. I want you to turn here because I just want you to read it for yourself. It's John chapter 15. Verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9. Reads this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. What? Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. The love that he has for me, that's the type of love I have for you. Then he says, abide in my love. That's crazy to me. That's crazy that the type of love that the Father has for the Son, the Son has for me, for you. The love that the Father has for the Son is perfect. What type of love is that? And then he says, I love you with that same type of love. That same type of perfect love, it's not based upon what you have done. It's not based upon your works. I did what I did because I wanted to do it. Remember what Ephesians says, so that no one could boast. I get all the glory. I love you because I love you, and you can't change that. If you're feeling this morning... Any type of doubt about God's love, go home and stare at that passage knowing that God, who loves the Son, that Son, Jesus Christ, loves you the same exact way, with the same exact capacity that the Father loves him. That's incredible. That is incredible. Verse 19 
He wants them to know this love and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I believe what he's saying here is he wants us to experience his love because it's kind of tricky, right? He says he wants you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How does that happen? I believe what he's saying here is he wants us to experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. There's people who could do word studies on the love of Christ. You could study the love of Christ in the Greek and Hebrew. But this is not talking about that type of knowledge. He wants us to experience a love that goes beyond an intellectual type of knowledge. He wants us to experience a love that really grips us and transforms us each and every single day. You know that experience if you've been transformed by the grace of God. You know when you encountered his love. You know when you got born again, when you had your pedal to the metal, riding as fast as you can, driving on the road to destruction, needle in the red. And then Jesus Christ stepped into the road and intervened, and you had a collision with Christ. And instead of dying, he raised you from the dead and gave you life. That's experiential love. That goes far beyond intellectual love. You know when, when you've been straying away from God and you're feeling so guilty over your sin and then he comes and seeks you out and grabs you and brings you back and you experience his love even in the midst of your filth knowing that he still loves you and he brings you back. That's experiential love. And even when things seem to be going okay, you could sing a song and hear that he made a wretch his treasure and something clicks that God has been so good to me and I am undeserving. That's experiential love. Oh, may God... Help us to understand the depth, depths and the length, the height, the width of his love. May he do it by the power of his Holy Spirit. Lord, do this for your grace and for your glory. He ends verse 19 by saying, he wants you to experience this love so that you could be filled with the fullness of God. If you're filled with lust, it's going to lead to lustful things. Might lead to adultery. Might lead to fornication. If it's lust after material things, then it might lead to you lusting after material things. If you're filled with anger, it might lead you to lash out in anger. If you're filled with pride, you're going to lash out in pride. You're filled with whatever it is, it's going to manifest itself. 
And we struggle with all kind of things each and every single day as believers. But Paul here is praying that they would be filled with the fullness of God. With the fullness of him. So that we radiate his character, his love, his joy, his kindness, his goodness, his self-control. So that we, as John says, walk as Jesus walked. He's praying that God would fill them so that his character is displayed. And then you see the next three chapters of Ephesians. Ephesians, and it's constantly talking about how we ought to live as Christians, but how we can't do this apart from being filled with the fullness of God, apart from God's Holy Spirit at work in us, apart from understanding the love of God that then causes us to love other people. Oh, may the Lord fill us with the fullness of himself. And then he ends in these last two verses giving praise. It's a doxology. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. <laughs> I prayed this, but now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to his power, his Holy Spirit at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In closing, I want to ask if you could just turn to the person next to you, um, groups of four, maybe five. I want to ask if we could just pray for each other as a church. I want to ask that we would pray this over each other's lives. As Paul bowed his knee, knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, as he prayed that according to the riches of his glory, that he would grant people to be strengthened with power in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, that them being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints. All of the saints, I love that. It means that we, we, we can't know this love apart from each other. Because it's in us loving one another, in us forgiving one another, all these different things, all the one another's that this love is displayed. That's why it says, you'll know that they, may, they are my disciples by the love they have for one another. That we could be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Let's pray for each other that we would be filled with the fullness of God and give glory to the one who is able to do far more abundantly than anything we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Don't you want the person next to you to be 
filled more with the fullness of God. To know more of the love of God. Paul is saying that the way that this happens is through prayer. It happens through the means of prayer. It's one thing to pray for our kids when they're sick. It's another thing to pray for things that we need. Jesus said that, pray for your daily bread. There's many things we pray for and those things are good, but let us not neglect to pray these type of prayers for each other. Oh God, help them to know the love that is found in Christ. Help them to be filled with the fullness of who you are. Could we just take a moment and pray for each other? And after a few minutes, um, I'll close us in prayer. If you could just gather with a few individuals. This reason, I bow my knees before you, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant Anacostia River Church to be strengthened with power through your Holy Spirit in our inner being. Oh God, strengthen us in our inner being so that Christ may dwell and rule in our hearts through faith. So that we will be rooted, rooted in the soil of your love and grounded grounded in love, that we may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, how wide your love is, what is the length, how long your love is, what is the height, how high your love is, and the depth, how deep your love is for us. And that we may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge we may experience your love more and more through the power of your Holy Spirit. That we may be filled with the fullness of God, the fullness of yourself, the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Now to you, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, more than every single prayer that was offered to you just now, more than what we can think according to the power at work within us, according to your Holy Spirit at work within us. Now to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.